Hello and welcome to Further Faster, brought to you by Montaigne. I'm Daniel Nielsen and it's my job to talk to athletes, explorers, filmmakers and people involved in the outdoor world. People who are really good at what they do to find out why they do what they do and how they do what they do. Now, in this episode, we touch upon a subject we've not really covered before and that's bikepacking and gravel riding. And to help us navigate, it is cycle writer and genuinely lovely person called Catherine Moore. Now, we've just had a delightful chat trying to understand about how she got into it, how you can get into it, how I can get into it. Um, and we also talked about things that you can see on the trails, about the birds, the wildlife, the changing of the seasons. And really, it's a reminder that cycling really doesn't have to be about chasing Strava times. Maybe it's really good to slow down sometimes. Um, Catherine Moore, she's lovely. I really enjoyed this talk. Listen in. Great, Catherine Moore, welcome to Further Faster. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Pleasure. amazing. So, um, yeah, we, we, we were just trying to describe what you are, how to describe you, but I guess a cycling <laughs> writer is probably... Yeah, I like to do all sorts of things and keep it interesting, but that's the mainstay. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and cycling is really your sport, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, which is quite funny because I don't really think about it as a sport, but um, <laughs> that's my passion for sure. Yeah. And, and 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 how long has that that passion been burning for? Is it is it kind of a long term thing? Mm. Is, it, is it? Yeah, it's been gosh, maybe about eight years now. I got into it in my early twenties after uni, mm-hmm. and I realised I wasn't doing any sort of exercise at all. Never really been a sporty person, and uh, right. absolutely got hooked. Started road cycling, got into gravel, and then that was a bit of a gateway drug into mountain biking and. Right. Yeah, enjoy a bit of everything now. <laughs> Amazing. So what was it about kind of getting on the road bike? And what, what, what was it about cycling? We, I, weirdly enough, we, we, we've interviewed loads of runners mm. and mountaineers and, and, and not that many cyclists on this. So it's, it'll be interesting to kind of hear, especially not the sort of people who kind of look at specialising yeah. in gravel and mountain bike and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, r- r- road, was the, road was the intro, was it? Yeah, I think in the early days, it was very much about finding a form of exercise that I actually enjoyed and I really got a thrill from. And at the time, I'd moved four hours from my home county in Devon all the way up to near Peterborough for a graduate scheme. And I didn't really know anyone. And I met a local cycling club. And to be honest, they were fantastic. But most of them were about my parents' age. Yeah. Um, and they were so much fun and they just took me under their wing and I had this new family and, mm-hmm. you know, every Sunday and every Wednesday evening, I knew that I'd have people to hang out with that were kind of like me. And, yeah. um, I think that's kind of where it all started. And then more latterly, it's been about the exploration about, um, I studied a zoology degree, so I'm really, what, really sorry? into zoology. Zoology. Yeah. So I'm really like into wildlife yeah Yeah. and you know the British countryside and I think it really allows you to get very close to that and experience a lot at that kind of pace that you wouldn't otherwise find especially if you're riding at dawn or dusk um you tend to see a lot which is really exciting for me amazing and what kind of like do you let's just dwell on the zoology for a second which I didn't know about so what how does yeah how does that link in with yeah their exploration the, the countryside so what what kind of things do you do you look out for certain wildlife when you're out there is that mm. do you have a like tick yeah. list do you write it down in a book not as such I really got into bed you need one, you need one of those little what yeah. are those those little books that you can tick things off on little journal 
Yeah, a little really ice spy book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really got into bird watching during lockdown because we couldn't really go very far. Yeah. And in Bristol, I live next to a gorgeous place called St George's Park, and there's a big lake with coots and moorhen and uh, little grebe and ducks and geese, and it's fabulous. Um, and that sort of inspired me to get more into it. And now when I cycle, I carry a little monocular, which just slips into a jersey pocket. Right. And you're never short on finding something when you go out. And I think it started with birds and obviously mammals, if you're lucky enough. The other day I was riding near Exeter and I saw a roebuck, which was very nice, oh, um, just in a trail centre, <laughs> just <laughs> the side of the trail. Um, and now with the prospect of having a garden very soon, I'm getting very interested in plants as well. And I think the thing about that kind of thing, sorry, this is totally segueing. I love it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> the great thing is that people think that you have to have a massive amount of knowledge to get into bird watching or knowing about plants or things. Like you just start with a few things and grow. And I've got a app on my phone called Google Lens and you can point your camera at almost anything I know nine times out of 10 give you a pretty solid answer as to what it is. So at the moment, I'm finding all these wildflowers that I'm excited about planting up my new garden with. And you just you don't have to like consult a encyclopedia or anything like that or text it to my mum, who's a bit of a whiz with that sort of stuff. <laughs> you just have to click on your phone and then all of a sudden, you know, and you can find out a bit more about it, which I find fascinating. It's amazing. I'm going to do yeah. that. I'm rubbish at identifying trees and leaves and things like that I saw a really interesting meme actually on Instagram the other day and it was a bit of a shocker and it had um two slides the first one was a number of different brands Mm -hmm. brand logos and then the second slide was another number of different leaves from trees oh god and it said how many of you can identify what each of these logos are and of course we see them every day in our lives yeah you know it's really obvious McDonald's logo you know that sort of thing and then all the like slightly more nuanced tree leaves and yeah it made me really think actually yeah how much we do really know and understand about our environment yeah I think it is a bit of a lockdown cliche when you kind of you you you, but it did focus everyone's attention I think on the the sort of the minutiae of their patch I guess um I I read a book and it was called a year a year in a a year in a patch or a year in patch and it was a guy who just spent a year mostly bird watching but also kind of just kind of looking at the changing of seasons and mm-hmm. noticing those those things just on the circular walk that he does every day it was a fascinating book and, and that, that, that yeah. sort of really appeals to me and I think I'm going to try to segue this back into cycling so one way or another but <laughs> um uh yeah but I guess I, I guess for and like I said we were just talking earlier about I was you know trail running around the South Downs which is you know where I am um and especially when you do the similar routes every day, you do begin to notice that kind of those changes in the seasons a lot more than that. And I think that's one of the great appeals of, especially, especially I guess, on the gravel bikes and the mountain bikes, you begin to notice a lot more of these, these elements. You must have written about it. Definitely. Along the line. Yeah, well, I've just been thinking about it a lot this year. Mm. I've never noticed the cherry blossom so much. Yeah, I have in this spring and all of the flowers on the trees. And I don't know if that's because the last few years we have been confined to our local areas. Mm. And now now, even though we have the opportunity to to travel a bit more, I'm I'm actually quite enjoying being around home. And that's one of the great advantages of gravel riding, I think, is that you can very much go from your own door 
um, whereas it's more um, typically perceived in mountain biking that you sort of load up into a car and travel off somewhere. Um, So it is really nice to explore your own sort of backyard. Yeah. um, Road or gravel. And and, and, and kind of explain a bit more about the gravel, the gravel cycling. So we've got, obviously we've got road biking at one, you know, you're on the road or wherever and you've got your mountain biking at the other, which is a lot easier to get, but like gravel cycling really over the last sort of, I guess, decade and, and certainly over the recent years has kind of come, become much more popular. What, how do you go about sort of finding the right routes and how did you get into gravel? Why did most people seem to go in a bit of a different direction you're younger than I am but um you know sort of road mountain bike and there's like oh what's this gravel stuff oh I can travel oh I can camp and it's sort of everything in between isn't it and I think mountain biking especially in recent years has just got so technical um and uh so it's sort of left this void of cross-country exploration and we say gravel that comes with a massive caveat in the UK yeah. Um, it's pretty dry at the moment, but for most of the year, it'll be a lot of like grass, mud, mm. bog, <laughs> depending yeah. on where you're riding. If you're lucky enough to live in the New Forest or on some of the amazing gravel tracks in Mid Wales or Scotland, then yes, you'll have loads and loads and loads of gravel roads. But it's yeah. more like multi terrain, anything between and including road and mountain bike trails. So it's really, really versatile. I got into it sort of by accident. I was getting into the bike industry um, maybe five years ago. Mm -hmm. And a friend dropped out of a video trip up to the Cairngorms. Mm -hmm. So going up on the sleeper train and then spending three days riding bikes for a brand that were launching a new bike, um, making a video on that. And she said, oh, any chance you could go? I was like, absolutely. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, it was quite funny, actually, because I'd only ridden road and a bit of cyclocross until that point. And my only few road crashes were on gravel tracks right. or gravelly corners. So I was uh, understandably anxious about that. Um, but after the first day or so, I was just absolutely hooked. And I'm sure, as you well know, the Cairngorms are just spectacular. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, they really won over my heart and haven't really looked back. Amazing. And, and what is it about that kind of gravel, the riding that, that appeals to you personally so much? Well, why is it that perfect kind of? bit in the middle between mountain biking and road cycling I think for me it's a combination of the exploration because you can still be within like a 20 mile radius of your home and compared to having ridden on the road for a long time you can find all these new tracks I literally bought a massive paper map and just highlighted all of the bridleways and byways and um, set out during lockdown one to tick off all my local ones uh, which was really good fun. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of spicy, right? So you're kind of on a bit of an inappropriate bike. Yeah. Sort of narrow drop handlebars, quite skinny tires. Yeah. At least to start with. Mine have definitely got a bit wider now. Yeah, yeah. It, it feels a little bit terrifying, which is great when you yeah. make it to the bottom and you're like, oh, phew. Whereas on a full suspension mountain bike, that would just be a bit boring. Um, mm-hmm. As, you know, mountain bike trails have, like I said, progressed be more and more technical yeah and I don't mean to highlight the negatives but I don't particularly feel safe on the road as much as I used to Mm. um so I'm very happy to get off of roads or at least stick to much quieter lanes and sort of dash between bridleways and byways 
sure so, and, yeah. and you don't want to be chasing strava times and no i don't have a competitive bone in my body <laughs> neither do i Although if you do you know gravel races are really up and coming um yeah. and i have enjoyed participating rather than racing in a number of different gravel events um sure. which are really really good fun yeah and and when did you when did you start kind of so when did you kind of make the leap to kind of bikepacking which let's say you know I guess it was just lightweight camping on a bike (laughs) maybe um I guess it it really depends on your definition right so when you say bikepacking Mm -hmm. I just say that's just traveling by bike on a multi-day ride that's just a very basic Mm -hmm. definition some people define it as off-road rather than road um you know I've, I've done sort of road centric tours um for quite a long time but really the sort of more self-supported camping type bike packing um i guess started with that trip to the cairngorms as well even though that time we were staying in bothies um yeah. which i think okay. is a really good way to get into it <laughs> at least you've got yeah. a, a solid roof over stuff. your head <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and just as exploring on your doorstep is really fascinating Mm -hmm. when you start to plot an a to b route or a much longer loop you just get more time to find new stuff and you know i love the cultural change of riding longer distances because you get to try you know different delicacies in different parts even of the uk Mm -hmm. let alone if you travel abroad different uh landscapes you know you might go from flatlands to hillsides or you know different types of forests Mm -hmm. um different types of tracks different views coastline to inland or vice versa um so you really do get so much more variety when you're on your bike for several days or a week or even more um i think that's the big appeal for me sure and what about the actual kind of the the camping aspect of it was that something that you were into before is it is it a means to an end or is it part of it for you yeah I was very lucky as a child um to take part in the Duke of Edinburgh award scheme Mm -hmm. so I was taught from age 14 15 I think Mm um how to carrying a much bigger rucksack no doubt yeah 65 (laughs) litre rucksack (laughs) that's how you can always spot the DV on on the downs they're just wearing rucksacks as big as they are yeah (laughs) (laughs) so that was really great from like the practical aspect of like how to carry a kit, how to pack, how to use a tranger and cook for yourself. And I guess that just transferred really nicely into doing it by bike, albeit with slightly different kit. Um, and yeah, I sort of taken it for granted at, at times, I think, to have had the opportunity to do that. Um, and yeah, sort of trying to transfer things that I've learned, some of my friends who didn't have the same opportunity. Um, it's quite entertaining. <laughs> I definitely uh, singed <laughs> off my my arm hair and part of my eyebrows once in a slight tranger malfunction, which was a, a lesson that you learn very quickly. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully only once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 what about what about the kit? I mean, the are you what, what's your what's your take on it? I think there are probably a few different schools of thought here. Mm. Are you are you cut off half your toothbrush kind of ultra light, or are you? going for a bit more comfort yeah somewhere in the middle somewhere in the middle I think with bikepacking like a lot of other outdoor sports perhaps you can get really bogged down in all the gear and the kit that you'll need for exactly what conditions or whatever 
Um, in reality, if you go in the summer for your first trip, you likely don't really need all that much or you can get a lot secondhand um, or, you know, borrow that kind of stuff. You can strap on dry bags rather than forking out for quite expensive um, bikepacking specific bags to begin with, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I like to be as lightweight as possible because I'm not a particularly strong rider. Mm-hmm. Um, I have friends who literally pack the kitchen sink, you know, and the coffee uh, filter and everything, which Always is great. A coffee you filter. just have to yeah, <laughs> try them with snacks and maybe they'll give you some nice coffee. Um, and similarly, I have some friends who will like only take one pair of shorts and go and do these races. Mm-hmm. And while I really respect and admire them and their incredible Scott, uh, sport talent, it's just mm-hmm. not for me. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I'm sort of happy middle, I suppose. Okay. And, and what, for, for people listening to this who might not have done it before, what's the sort of, what are the, the principles of bikepacking? What are the, the kind of essentials that you would need to take if someone on, your, on, on their first trip? Okay. So I guess the main bulk of it is like your sleeping kit. Mm-hmm. So for my first few trips, I was staying in little sort of Airbnbs, bothies, things like that, where you don't need a huge amount of equipment, which is a great way to get into it. Um, You might, there was three main ways you could do it. A tent, small lightweight tent would be really great. Mm -hmm. Um, I really enjoy hammocking, but I know that's quite niche. Um, Find that very comfortable. Or a bivy bag, which is a really popular option. So that's essentially an outer shell to go around your sleeping bag and you look like a bit of a worm and you Mm -hmm. just, you could literally put it almost anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. It works pretty well. Um, So the sleeping kit, you might want to change your clothes for overnight, something really warm Mm -hmm. um, for most occasions. And then your sort of normal um, kit, things like tools and spares, obviously very important. Personal hygiene is really important when you're on the bike for several days. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that I think is really getting a bit of recognition now about um, making sure you keep yourself clean and healthy in all areas. Mm-hmm. And um, what else? Cooking stuff. So there's absolutely no harm and there's no cheating or right or wrong way to do it. Um, I've been had loads of gorgeous pub dinners whilst bikepacking and I love it. I love trying, you know, local food um, from local people and you usually strike up a conversation or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, when you do head to more remote areas, then things like pre-made meals or being able to rustle up something yourself is really, really handy. Um, yeah. And always packing a spare can get you out of some uh, very hungry situations as well. Yeah, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure. And what about, what about sort of planning the routes? You mentioned earlier that, you'd, you know, you kind of hooked up bridleways and small lanes and that kind of thing is there what like how would you go about yeah if somebody was to sort of you know go go from their front door what what kind mm. of things should they be looking for on the os map or what well kind i of think resources? you've got two main options really especially if you're starting out a really really good idea and something that i really enjoy is following established bikepacking routes okay so this could be something that's been done by a local council or local um, body you know there's quite a few established ones all over the UK that haven't really been recognized over the last few decades and suddenly um, really coming to the fore so the Transcambrian way would be a really popular example Um, but there's loads up and down the UK especially in Scotland um, where there's the right to roam act which means that you get a bit more um, choice in exactly where you can ride and camp Um, 
But if you're going to do one yourself, I just pick perhaps where you want to start and finish. Don't bite off more than you can chew because when it comes to riding off-road, it certainly takes a lot longer and you'll need a lot more snacks. And yeah, linking up in the UK, uh, bridleways, byways, small lanes um, are all legal places to ride, avoiding footpaths um, where it's not legal to ride. Um, There are certain apps and things that could be really helpful for um, showing you places where people have ridden before. So you can use things like heat maps and that will show you popular routes where lots of people have ridden before. Um, On apps like Commute, they have highlights. So they'll give you tips and photos where other riders have been so they can help bring some really interesting tracks or cafes or other interesting historical sites to the fore. Um, So there really is a wealth of information out there um, Mm -hmm. as it's something that's been really popular over the last few years. Um, I think if you're making your own route, you get the real satisfaction when you find gems. Yeah. And you also get to laugh at yourself when you find yourself in the middle of a bog. (laughs) You're like, oh, well, I'm the only (laughs) one to blame here. (laughs) So it goes both ways. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and what about kind of, you know, re- backpacking responsibly? What, what what are the sort of the, yeah, the principles for that? You know, mm. we talk about in camping, I guess it's very similar to so would you be wild camping, you know, would you sort of leave no trace, that kind of thing? Is Absolutely. There, right? So the leave no trace principles apply as they do in every outdoor pursuit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you can go one step further, actually. I think you can say, you know, you want to leave the countryside or the areas you visited in an even better state than when you started so things like trash free trails doing an amazing yeah. role in educating people across the uk and like if you see a bit of litter even if it's not yours just pick it up it's really not hard and take it to the, the nearest bin or if it's recyclable um you know we are so privileged to be able to enjoy these spaces um and looking after them isn't difficult um yeah yeah, it should just be second nature to us, really. But um, yeah, I think if you can leave the space in an even better um, condition than you found it and help educate people about that, that's really, really positive. Amazing. I like that. So what have you got? What have you got planned then for the the, the summers yawning out in front of us? What have you? Uh, yeah. Ooh. Obviously, you're going to get back down to Devon back yes you must be um, so excited about exploring trails down there very excited so um actually tomorrow i'm launching a new bikepacking route which has been a real labor of love over the last year or so um that's the east devon trail which um is my where i grew up in east devon um sort of a circular loop from the train station in exeter taking along the jurassic coast and wow. <laughs> as we were alluding to earlier, linking up a number of different nature reserves, including some really popular bird watching sites at Seaton Wetlands and on the ex-estuary. So that hopefully to encourage more people to sort of take their binoculars and pause along the way and, and really yeah. explore the wildlife on the route. Oh, I'm down in Exeter soon. That sounds fun. Ah, you have to take on a little bit at least. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the full three days. And then moving down to the edge of Dartmoor which is really really exciting because mm. it just means that I'll have loads of time to explore a new place and a completely different less... landscape and I guess yeah. with that different yeah yeah I just love the wild sort of inhospitable inhospitability mm-hmm. is that the word yeah we'll <laughs> take that yeah <laughs> the hostile nature of Dartmoor and the bleakness of it Mm-hmm. um especially on a rough day is just amazing I love it um and I'm always staggered talking to people how few people from around the country have visited 
I feel right. like it's this little gem, yeah. um, perhaps because it's quite a long way from most places in mainland UK. <laughs> <laughs> and and of course, legal to wild camp in certain areas, mm-hmm. um, which is the only place outside of Scotland. So that's really exciting for me as well. Yeah. So yeah, lots of local exploration on the cards. Um, don't know as yet about any bigger trips, but um, yeah. they're usually a bit more spontaneous. <laughs> <laughs> like it. I like it. I like it. Amazing. Thanks, Catherine. Thanks for yeah. Like I say, we've not we've not really discussed this sort of aspects on the on the podcast before. So yeah, just really interesting to get your insights into it. And it and it is so straightforward to do. Like anybody, most people listening to this will have a lightweight tent and a sleeping bag and a a bike of some sorts. And it, you don't have to go out and spend a fortune on a gravel bike when you've got a, exactly you know a mountain bike or anything really just to get out and go. There we go. That's. Hopefully everyone's planning their summers and one of those trips will be a, <laughs> will be a bikepacking trip. But brilliant. Catherine, thanks for your time this Thank morning. You. And um, pleasure. Yeah, pleasure to talk to you. Great. Huge thanks to Catherine. I'm sure you are spying your bike now and then figuring out how to put some dry bags on it and getting out into the wilderness, which is exactly what I'm doing. Um, I've already texted a mate about it, actually. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as I did. Um, if you enjoyed it then please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts from it really helps us uh, get the message out there and we'll be back in a couple of weeks thank you again for listening